Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Thank you to everyone. Long time no talk. Um, give me one second as I set up everything. And we're going to get into it. I'm a little late um, setting up stuff. Um, but today we're going to talk about um, prayer debt collection practices. If you're dealing with like debts and stuff. Uh, hold on one second. We're going to get into that. Give me one second. Um, I hope everyone is having a good evening. Um, okay, okay, got that set up. But we're going to go into the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Uh, okay, hold on one second. Bear with me. All right, we're about to begin. Five, four, three, two, one. So greetings, everyone. I go greetings, everyone. I go by the appellation of Raki Jehudi. Um, first and foremost, this is not legal advice. It's not to be construed as legal advice, and I hope. Everyone uh, enjoys what it is that I have to bring. Uh, we're going to go into the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, and which is governed in Title 15 of the United States Code, 1692. So, um, and they have, in, I guess, they enacted this act for those uh, because. If you get like a debt or something like that, if you have a mortgage, if you have a mortgage or um, you know like student loans or credit card bills or anything like that, and let's just say for instance that you get like a bill in the mail or what is properly called a presentment, 
but let's say you get a presentment in the mail, which means that there's someone collecting a debt other than the actual creditor, the original creditor. Other anyone other than the original creditor, the original creditor is the one who originally gave you the loan, quote unquote. However, um, if if you get a letter in the mail saying that you owe someone money and it's not from their original creditor and you don't know who they are, then they have to validate that they are in fact uh, who it is that uh, you owe. So, um, but we're going to go through all of that. So, so anyway, uh, this is in uh, 15 U.S.C. 1692 G. So, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, as amended by Public Law 111-203, Title 10, 124 Stat 2092 of 2010. So as a public service, the staff of the Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC, the FTC, that's very important, the FTC, the staff of the FTC has prepared the following complete text of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, or for short, the FDCPA. And again, this is dealing with debt collectors and stuff like that. So if you have, if you're getting mails uh, from people who say that you owe money to, then they're going to have to validate that. And we're going to go into the laws as to what to, what, uh, you know, pertaining to uh, debt validation and verification. So, uh, 1692. Uh, please note that the format of the text differ in minor ways from the U.S. Code in the West U.S. Code's annotated. For example, the version used FDCPA section numbers and the heading, in addition to in, in addition, the relevant U.S. Code citation is included. Which okay, well this is not really important. It's pretty much just saying that uh uh. That's pretty much just saying that the uh, that what we're about to read here, because I got I didn't get this from the U.S. Code. I got it from the FTC's website, which is okay. I mean, you know, but it is because the the federal uh, let me get my words right. The Fair Debt Collection Practices Act is encoded in uh, 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 15 U.S.C. 1692. You know, 1692, and and this goes by sections here, but uh, this is not how it is in the code. But we're just going to read it as if it was in the code and not in, you know, this act alone. So, uh, table of contents of the FDCPA, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. So, short title, that's the first chapter, Congressional Findings and Declaration of Purpose, second chapter. Third chapter is the definitions, which is very important. You always want to know the definitions of certain things because when you go to certain laws, the definition of one act may be different from a definition that's in another act. So you want to be able to note the, the, uh, the, the distinctions and the purposes as to which they are being used 
in a particular set of statute. So, four, acquisition of location information. Um, and, yeah, you can actually go and read this on your own. Uh, but we're going to go through it. So, anyway, 15 U.S.C., 1692, short title, which is the first chapter. This subchapter may be cited as the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. And I'm saying that over and over again to, you know, kind of get people familiar with the term Fair Debt Collection Practices Act because that is part of your remedy as to getting what it is that you need to get done. This is what I use, and, and I mean, it has to work, you know. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, 15 U.S.C., 1692 G., I mean, uh, 15, 15 U.S.C. 1692. Congressional findings and declarations of purpose. So now we're going to read as to why it is that they uh, have the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. A, abusive practices. So the abusive practice, this is what Congress has found. So there is abundant evidence. There is abundant evidence of the use of abusive, deceptive, and unfair debt collection practices by many debt collectors. Abusive debt collection practices contribute to the, to the number of personal bankruptcies, to marital instability, to the loss of jobs, and to the invasion of individual privacy. Because there's certain debt collectors, there's a lot of debt collectors out here that they don't really, they, I mean, you know, they don't really care about you. So, you know, they just want their money. They don't care what you have to go through. They just want to make sure that they get paid. So, B, inadequately, in, inadequacy of laws. Existing laws, now this is what Congress has found. So, existing laws and procedures for redressing these injuries are inadequate to protect consumers. So pretty much the laws, because, and if you really study the law, there's a lot of laws that says that what it is that you can do to someone else, but maybe not as many laws as to how it is that the defendant can defend themselves. And the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act is what you would want to use if you're on the side of the defendant in regards to a debt that someone says that you owe. Because the reason why this is so potent, because they can't prove that you owe a debt. Because, because they can't even prove to you. Because in order, to, in order for you to owe a debt that you have to pay, there has to be something of substance that you can use to pay the debt with. But we live in it. We're just, well. We don't live where well, we kind of do. But we engage in a system where it is bankrupt. So therefore, since it's a bankrupt society called the United States, as it being as it is being uh, bankrupt, the country itself internally cannot use, can't purchase anything because they're bankrupt. They don't have any money. If you're bankrupt, that means you're insolvent. To be insolvent means that you can't pay your debt. 
Now, you as an individual, you, you're not the United States. The United States is an entity within themselves that has been bankrupt. But you engage in this. See, they, they're, I mean, we all know that they are in, they're uh, occupying our territory, you know, uh, by, you know, force and a lack of consent. However, but nonetheless, they occupy it. And, you know, it, it, it may not, it, it won't take just one person to get these people off our land or at least to put them in compliance so that they would properly serve us because in actuality, they are here to serve us, not for us to serve them. That's just the bottom line. So let, let's, let's, let's continue. So see, available non-abusive collection methods means other misrepresentation or other abusive debt collection practices are available to the effective collection of debts. D, interstate commerce. Now, this again, this is what Congress has found. Now, Congress is the people that sit in those big old desks about the size of a building that write up these laws that they say that you got to follow. But really, they're not talking to you. They're saying that if you're going to use your entity in commerce, then that entity has to follow their rules because we're operating in their system. We're not operating in our own system. We're operating in their system. And, it, and, it's, and it's crazy because if we were to not operate in their system, it would be a little bit harder than it would be if we were to operate in their system. But there's a lot of correct people in their system. But, you know, that should be the, le- that should be the, le- the very least uh, you know, your fears because uh, anyone who engages in fraud eventually will have to come to the surface like a pimple and eventually that pimple is going to have to bust or it's going to have to go away. So anyway, so available non-abusive collection methods. Oh, okay, now I read that. So D, interstate commerce. Abusive debt collection practices are carried on a substantial extent. Are carried so abusive debt collection practices are carried on to a substantial extent in interstate commerce and through means and instrumentalities of such commerce. Even where abusive, even where abusive debt collection practices are purely interstate in character they nevertheless directly affect interstate commerce. So let's break that down real quick. So they're basically saying now Congress has basically found that there are there is abusive debt collection practices. And the people who are are abusing their debt collection practices, their debt collection methods and strategies, they are doing this stuff on an interstate level, which means interstate commerce. Interstate means from state to state, like from Illinois to Indiana or from California to New York or from Florida to Montana. That's what it means, interstate, interstate. Now, remember that these countries that across states. Illinois in itself is a, uh, is, a, is a country. These are just the states that are united under the Articles of Confederation, which is the republic. 
So, um, and, and it's affecting, and these uh, abusive debt collection practices are affecting commerce on the interstate level, which means that it's affecting, because in other words, one abusive practice in one city, in one little state, in one small town, affects the whole grand system on every other state. Because it does, because all of these states are united, and every one of the states have adopted the the capacity of using Federal Reserve notes as the basis of a currency. So since everyone uses this currency, if and if you understand, if, if you've been with me early on when I was talking about the Federal Reserve and what they do and stuff like that, if you understand how the Federal Reserve operates, then you will know that when you create money in one area, it's created it is created in every other area because the banking system is one network. You see what I'm saying? So, so e purposes. So it is the purpose. It is the purpose of this subchapter to eliminate abusive debt collection practices by debt collectors to ensure that those debt collectors who refrain from using abusive debt collection practices are not complete competitively disadvantaged and to promote consistent state action to protect consumers against debt collection abuse. So the debt collection practices, uh, fair debt collection practices, is to help people protect themselves, and then make sure that these debt collectors aren't getting a little bit too competitive to where it's like two teenagers or something like that that got this little first started off as competition between one another, and then they grow up and they start beefing, you know? Same thing that happens in commerce. People get competitive with one another. You know, oh, I make more money than you. I make more money than you. And then the other person that he's saying that he makes more money than you know, just out of nowhere starts making more money. And now this person says, oh, my, you're making more money than you. I don't want to make this much money. You can't make more money than me. And, and you know, then the only but the only way to get that they make money is by collecting debt from you. So, you know, they, they're just thinking about the competition between themselves and their competitors. They're not it's just like Walmart and Kmart. They're competitive, or Walmart and Jewel or something like that. They're competitive franchises, and they just want to get your money because they got to beat the competition. But, I mean, because think about it. When you go to the cash register and you say, hey, um, I really need this, you know, I really need these diapers for my child, but I can't pay you right now. And they say, well, you just can't get the diapers, which, I mean, fair. I mean, that's just how it is. But, it gets to an extent where they say when when a customer comes up to them, they go, "Hey, I need to borrow. You know, I need to. You know, uh, uh, I need to. You know, spot me or whatever. You know, they're throwing you in jail to saying that you're trying to steal something. That's how that's how real it's getting. These people have become beasts and have become their own. Their, they have become their own enemy because after a while, when you let the competition get to you, you begin to destroy yourself. So, 15 U.S.C. 1692a, definitions. As used in the subchapter, or as used in the subchapter, one, the term bureau 
means the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection. I kind of like the Consumer Financial Protection. So, too, the term communication means the conveying of information regarding a debt directly or indirectly to any person through any medium. So, in other words, communication means that when I send you something in the mail saying that you owe me some money, that's pretty much communication. So, three, the, the term consumer means any natural person obligated or allegedly obligated to pay any debt. I mean, you know, obviously, so so you're the consumer if you owe any debt or if you're obligated to pay debt. Now, re- remember, now if you've been with me when I was, I was, you know, kind of breaking down debt discharge, when you can't pay a debt, that you have the obligation, but guess what? The obligation is someone else's obligation. So not only do you, so you don't owe any money. You can't pay any money. Hell, you don't even owe the money because what are, what they're demanding from you is not your obligation. So, yeah, you might have obligation to do something, but they want you to pay for that obligation. They want you to fulfill that obligation by paying them in a certain currency that's not really money and it's not your money. You see what I'm saying? And the money that they want you to pay them with is an obligation, but it's not your obligation. It's someone else's obligation. So they want you to pay them in money that's an obligation. So it's like, all right, well, you want me to pay you an obligation with the obligation. That's not my obligation. So I'm going to tell them that that the obligation, uh, I want, I'll go tell them, that has the money, quote-unquote, or these obligations that they need to pay you. Because remember, the Federal Reserve notice is a promise to pay. It's very simple. It's very simple. So, four, the term creditor means any person who offers or extends credit creating a debt or to whom a debt is owed. All right, so that's, uh, a creditor means a person, any person, whether it's a whether it's you, whether it's a trust, whether it's an LLC, whether it's a LLCP, whether it's a LLP, whether it's whether it's INC, it doesn't matter. All of these, all those I just named, constitutes as creditors. In the event that they have extended credit and lent money that created a debt that they say you owe because you're the consumer, because you're obligated to pay the debt. So the term creditor means any person who offers or extends credit creating a debt or to whom a debt is owed. Now check it out. It also it says that is a person who offers or extends credit creating a debt. So they might have just gave it away right there because they're saying that now the creditor, when you go get a loan, the creditor is the bank that you go to to get the loan from. You're the debtor, quote unquote, what they call you. And they say that you're the debtor because they lent you money. But if they extend credit, they're creating debt. They're creating debt by by um, extending credit. 
but they can't extend credit because they extend credit to create a debt. So they need you to create the credit. And that's why you create the debt. Because when you're, because it's accounting, point blank. So, but such term, but such term does not include any person to the extent that he receives an assignment or a transfer of a debt in default solely for the purpose of facilitating uh, collection of such debt for another. So, so the debt collector is not a creditor because if, oops, the debt collector is not a creditor. So, but remember, the creditor is any person who offers or extends credit creating a debt or to whom a debt is owed. Who the fuck is a debt collector? When they come to your door or to your mails or to your phone and say that you owe money. To who? Not you. Who is the original creditor? Are you saying that I'm a debtor? Are you saying that I pay debts? And nine times out of ten, they'll say yes. Because every time I ask them that question, they tell me yes. I say, okay. And then I go show them the laws that says that I can't pay a debt, so therefore I I don't pay debts, and I'm not a debtor. I can't be a debtor. And then that's when they say, well, you know, you paid us. We lent you money. You lend me what money? What money did you? Okay, you lent me money. What money did you lend me? Our credit. Oh, really? How did you get that credit? It's from our reserves. So you lent me someone else's money. Yeah. Oh, really? Let me see the books from an accountant's point of view. I took me a little minute to get to that point where I even say that, but it's really simple. But you don't want to say something to someone and not know why you're saying it, even though it sounds good. You can say something to someone that's completely correct, but if you don't know what it is that you're, if you don't know what you're saying to that person, they might not, well, they try, might try to play dumb and act like they don't know what you're saying, but they really do. And, and now you've got to go a little bit deeper into it. Now, if, you're, if you would say something that's correct, but you can't back it up, then, you know, it's good as gone. So, anyway, five, the term debt, debt. The term debt means any obligation or alleged obligation of a consumer to pay money arising out of a transaction in which the money, property, insurance, or services which are the subject of the transaction are primarily for personal, family, or household purposes, whether or not such obligation has been reduced to judgment. So, in other words, so the FTCPA, it doesn't deal with entities on a commercial level. It just deals with, you know, people like you and me that, you know, go to the bank and get a loan or something like that or insurance or buy a house, okay, or get any services, right? You see what I'm saying? So, six, the term debt collector means 
any person who uses any instrumentality of interstate commerce or the mails in any business, the principal purpose of which is the collection of any debt. So in other words, a debt collector is just someone who collects debt in interstate commerce. They uses the mailing system to do so, like when you get that bill in the mail every month or from someone who you don't know or who regularly collects or attempts to collect directly or indirectly debts owed or due or asserted to be owed or due another. So in other words, if it's a debt collector, a debt collector is someone who is collecting debts on the on behalf of someone who you owe, pretty much. They collect debts on behalf of the creditor, but they're not the creditor. They need to actually prove who their original creditor is, who's the true creditor. Where are the funds coming from that you so-called lent me? Did I not create those funds? If I did not prove that I didn't create them by you proving that you lent me anything, it's very simple. We got to read all of this work, all of these laws and stuff like just, just to understand a few things. Unfortunately, it's necessary, but the journey is fun, especially when you get the ball rolling. However, let's continue. Notwithstanding the exclusion provided by Clause F of the last sentence of this paragraph, the term includes any creditor who, in the process of collecting his own debt, uses any name other than his own which would indicate that a third person is collecting or attempting to collect such debt. That was very powerful because um, in some cases, the debt collector could collect the debt from you in the name of someone else. I mean, ask someone else, but really, you know, in other words, the creditor will, you know, Collect, try to collect the debt from you in another name. But same rules apply, validated, same way. It doesn't matter. Because it really don't matter. They have to, they're going to trick you and stuff like that and make you seem like you owe the debt. But the more, if you know enough, they ain't going to get around you. You know? Because it's all about standing up for yourself and be, being able to, you know, navigate this stuff and add a little motion to the ocean because commerce is on the sea. That's why you ship packages to other people. So for the purpose of 1692F6 of this title, such term also includes any person who uses any instrumentality of interstate commerce, such as, you know, like the post office or something, or the mails in any business, the principal purpose of which is the enforcement of security entrance. The term does not include, A, any officer or employee of a creditor 
while in the name of the creditor collecting debt for such creditor. In other words, it can't be as the creditor can't collect the debt from you and themselves being a debt collector. They have to be, in other words, when a debt collector comes into the picture and now it has become a third party, they're the third party. A creditor can't be a third party. If anything, they're first party. You see, a debt collector is just someone who collects debt on that on behalf of someone else. Someone you have no contract with. And there's really nothing wrong with that, but the only problem is there's other questions you have to ask them, like how did they get your information and stuff like that? Who are they collecting for? Who are their clients? Because the client is their original creditor. But how did they get permission to collect such debt from you? Do they have any evidence that says that the creditor has given them permission and authorization to be able to collect debt from you on their behalf? Or did they buy it? Because if they did buy it, which is usually for pennies on a dollar, especially if it's an old bad defaulted debt, the 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 debt collector buys the debt for pennies on the dollar profit. And guess what? According to law, they can't collect from you any more than what they paid for it. So if they pay pennies on the dollar from for it, the only thing you own is a couple pennies. Not the hundred thousand dollars that you took out on the mortgage that you defaulted on. It's so much remedy out here. It really is. However, let's continue. B, any person while acting as a debt collector for another person, both of whom are related by common ownership or affiliated by corporate control, if the person acting as a debt collector does not so only does not so only for the person to whom it is so related or affiliated, and if the principal business of such person it's not the collection. It's not the collection of debt. See, and again, you know, I could be wrong on certain things, uh, you know, but you know, I reserve that right to be wrong, and I reserve the right to admit. So, see, any officer or employee of the United States or any state, to the extent that the collection or attempting to collect any debt is in the performance of his official duties. So any, D, any, per, now this is what a debt collector is not. D, any person while serving or attempting to serve legal process on any other person in connection with the judicial enforcement of any debt. So E, any nonprofit organization which is the request of consumers performs bona fide consumer credit counseling and assists consumers in the liquidation of their debt by receiving payments from such consumers and distributing such amount to creditors. And F, a debt collector is not any person collecting or attempting to collect any debt owed or due to assert to be owed or due another to the extent such activity one is extended or is is incidental to a bona fide fiduciary obligation or a bona fide escrow arrangement. 
Two, concealment of debt, which was originated by such person. Three, concerns a debt which was not in default at the time it was obtained by such person. So a debt collector does not concern a debt which uh, was not in default at the time it was obtained by such person. So, uh, wait, one, two, three. so, or four, concerns a debt obtained by such person to a secured party in a commercial credit transaction involving the creditor. So, uh, hold on a second. Hold on one quick second, fam. Perfect. Hold on one second, y'all. Let me uh, correct these settings right here. It's getting on my nerves. Hey. Uh, um. Wait, I don't want to. Sorry, y'all. So pause. That's it. Oops, that didn't work. All right, so let's let's continue. So F, any person collecting or attempting to collect any debt owed or due or asserted to be owed or due another to the extent such activity one. Oh, wait, we read that. So seven. The term location information means a consumer's place of abroad, uh, abroad, and his telephone number, such as place or his place of employment. So that's his location information, pretty much his, you know, address, phone number, stuff like that. Way he works, or whoever, male or female, it doesn't matter. Eight. The term state. Now, remember, you know, I was saying how, you know, the United States and each state is its own country. See, this is where, because, you know, it, uh, in this Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, as a matter of fact, in the whole state, I mean, U.S. code, the term state means something kind of different. So, eight, the term state means any state territory or possession of the United States. Any possession. Boom, right there. So any possession of the United States. The District of Columbia, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, or any political subdivision of any of the foregoing. Now, they said Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico, 
is uh, I think that's where the IRS is from, and like the Treasury and stuff. Again, you know, research validate that. However, 15 U.S.C. 1692b. Acquisition of location information. Uh, so now it's about to start picking up a little bit. So any debt collector communicating with any person other than the consumer for pur- purposes of acquiring location information about the consumer shall, one, identify himself, state that he is confirming or correcting location information concerning the consumer. So he has to identify himself. Now, let me give you a little dime here. When it says identify himself, that doesn't mean just give him your, you know, that doesn't mean that that uh, collector that got to, you know, uh, say his name. Nah, got to get a little bit more than that because usually most debt collectors are attorneys. You want the bar number and stuff. In case you want to sue him for, like, you know, malpractice or something. So, uh, so, so the, uh, so the debt collector, so anytime the debt collector is communicating with anybody other than the consumer, which is you, you know, like when, you know, you might get a loan or something like that, and they'll say you stop paying on it and you default, and they want to garnish your wages or something like that. They go to your job and get your information from them as a confirmation so they can tell them that they want to, you know, like uh, garnish your wages or something. So it's only just to confirm that that's where you are. So, two, not state that such consumer owes any debt, so they can't say that you owe money. So they can't call your job and say, hey, um, it's this John Doe. Does he work here? He owes a debt. They can't say that because if they do, then it's making it seem like, you know, I'm pretty, it's, other, it's another reason for that, but yeah, one reason why I see it is bad because the debt collector can make it seem like he's trying to collect debt from the job because guess what? He's going to be garnishing the consumer's wages. But, it, it, I mean, there's just so much to it. They have to have, like, all type of, like, like between the creditor and the debtor, they have to have a contract. They have to have authorization. Uh, the debt collector has to identify themselves, you know, because debt collection is a private, you know, thing. It's not. Any, it doesn't have anything to do with the employer. But the employer, uh, provided that they're given, you know, proper identification and proper cause, you know, you got to kind of, you know, when you work, they garnish your wages, which means that they take a certain amount of money out of your paycheck and pay the creditor. I mean, the debt collector. And, you know, God knows what happens with the, you know, from there. So anyway. So six, 
after the debt collector knows the consumer is represented by an attorney with regards to the subject uh, debt. Okay. So after the debt collector knows the consumer is represented by an attorney with regards to the subject debt and has knowledge of or can readily ascertain such attorney's name and address, not communicate with any person other than that attorney unless the attorney fails to respond within a reasonable period of time to communicate with the debt collector. So in other words, if the debt collector goes to a consumer and tries to collect the debt and that the consumer has an attorney, the attorney if the if the debt collector gets proper identification of their attorney and they are strictly told to only communicate with their attorney, then they have to only communicate with their attorney. They can't go to the consumer and say, Hey, you stole this debt. They have to go to the attorney. So they're not doing that if they're, you know, still haunting you down saying, Hey, yeah, you gotta get you gotta pay us and stuff like that. And you know they're breaking the law. So uh fifteen USC sixteen ninety two C communication in connection with the debt collection. And you know, uh yeah, oh okay. So communicate A communication with the consumer generally. Without prior consent of the consumer given directly to the debt collector or the express permission of a court of competent jurisdiction, a debt collector may not communicate with a consumer in connection with the collection of the debt. So a debt collector cannot contact you without the consumer's prior without the consumer's consent given to them before they start a collection or unless they go to court and they get like a default judgment or something and then they could contact you. But they but they're sneaky now. When you sign papers and stuff, they make you agree to a certain clause that says that they can contact you and call you and stuff like that. Um provide you know what that's yeah, that's funny. You know because uh, you don't because usually they ask you for like references and stuff like that. Um, and like emergency contacts and stuff. Those emergency contacts aren't emergency contacts and reference contacts when it comes to debt collect or when it comes to creditors and stuff like that. They're just there so they can go harass other people that you gave their numbers uh the numbers that you gave they gave that you gave to the creditor, they get that to debt collector too, and they go calling the people that you gave the numbers to telling asking for where you at. But if you don't, but you have to let them know that if you go get a loan and stuff like that, I'm not saying it's bad. You get loans. Just wait. You know, you you know, it's good in a sense. It's just knowing what how to navigate with it. But let's say you go get one. <clears throat> I would advise that you disclose to them that pursuant to 15 U.S.C. 1692C, you cannot if you if you if this however goes into default sometime. You cannot stick a debt collector, you want to say it like that, but just basically tell them that you can't have a debt collector communicate with me. I do not consent to that. You know, I mean, they may or may not give you a loan because of that. I don't know. The choice is yours. Do what you, you know, the more knowledge you have of stuff, you know, 
the better decisions that you will make. So one. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, this is where it gets good. So without prior consent of the consumer giving directly to the debt collector. So without prior consent of the consumer giving to the uh, directly to the debt collector or the express permission of a court of competent jurisdiction, competent jurisdiction, I love that. So a debt collector may not communicate. So a debt collector may not communicate with a consumer in connection with the collection of a debt unless, or they can do it once, at any unusual time or place known or which should be known to be an inconvenience to the consumer. So in other words, a debt collector cannot, if they find you, let's say, for instance, that you're at Starbucks or something like that, and they say, hey, you know, are you, you know, John Doe or something like that, and they say, hey, you're a debt. You know, it's like they're harassing you at the, at a very unusual venue. So, you know, they can't, they, you know, do stuff. Like, they can't pop up at your job and say, and go to, like, a manager or something and tell them that you are a debt. In other words, they can't harass you. That's pretty much all that this goes. Because, you know, a lot of debt collectors, they harass people. They call you at all times of the day, multiple times per day, and they're nasty and they're snotty and they're assholes, and they, they try to demand money and, and stuff like that. And it puts fear into a lot of people, but it kind of is an invasion of privacy and it's moral degradation. So, you know, they can't do that. So they can't contact you in the absence of knowledge of of circumstances to the contrary wait so in in the absence of knowledge of circumstances to the contrary a debt collector shall assume the convenient time for communicating with a consumer is after eight o'clock and before nine o'clock uh post measuring so admin which is in other words. So a debt collector has to assume that a convenient time for, you know, contacting you is after 8 o'clock a.m. and before 9 o'clock p.m. Local time at the consumer's location. So wherever you're at, when, like I'm in the Midwest, in Central Standard Time, so it's 6.50 here now. So that means that they got, like, what, like an hour or so before to say if I owe a debt, they got about an hour or two, an hour and a half or whatever, an hour and ten minutes or something left to collect the debt for me until the next day, starting at 8 a.m. So in other words, they can't call you in the middle of the night asking for a debt, pretty much. So two. <laughs> so two. If the debt collector knows the consumer is represented by an attorney with respect to such debt and has knowledge of or can readily ascertain such a turn. Wait, did we read that? It can ascertain such attorney's name, 
and address unless the attorney fails to respond within a reasonable time. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we read that. Okay, whatever. Anyway, three. At a consumer's place of employment, if the debt collector knows or has reason to know that the consumer employee, the consumer's employer, prohibits the consumer from receiving such communication. So even though, because what that's basically saying, that a debt collector can't go to your job and um, try to collect debt or anything, if your job permits that action from happening. However, you can tell them to say, hey, I don't, you know, this is an inconvenient place. This is not the right time. Uh, You know, right, you know, speak to me through mail. You know, you have rights. Don't never let anyone tell you that you don't. Or they can tell you all they want to, just don't believe it. Now that you know that you have rights, you got to figure out what those rights are. Like, you have a right to defend yourself. You have a right to remain silent. You have a right to speak. You have a right to think, eat, drink, sleep. You have a right to not do those things as well. You have a right to do anything. However, there are certain things that you may not necessarily have a right to do by common another person. You really don't have a right to do that, even though you can do it if you want. But it's not something that you were designed to do. So there's nothing stopping you if you choose to do such, but there are consequences behind such actions. There's consequences consequences behind every action. But a consequence isn't something always bad. Consequence just means... It's just a result of something that you did. You know? If you if you eat healthy, you'll be healthy. You know, it's that simple. The consequence of eating healthy is being healthy. Just see. So B, communication with third parties. So except as provided in section sixteen ninety two B of this title without the prior consent of the consumer giving directly to the debt collector or the express permission of a court of competent jurisdiction or as reasonably necessary to effectuate a post-judgment judicial remedy, a debt collector may not communicate in connection with the collection of a debt with any person other than the consumer, his attorney, a consumer reporting agency if otherwise permitted by law, the creditor, the attorney of the creditor, or the attorney of the debt collector. So C, ceasing communication. If a consumer notifies a debt collector in writing that the consumer refuses to pay debt or that the consumer wishes the debt collector to cease further communication with the consumer, the debt collector shall not communicate further with the consumer with respect to such debt, except, one, to advise the consumer that the debt collector's further efforts are being terminated. So in other words, if a, if a debt collector 
tries to pursue collecting the debt from you and you tell them not to, the only way that they can, can communicate with you without getting in trouble is only in the event that they are telling you that they will no longer pursue collection, collecting debt. Or, two, to notify the consumer that the debt collector or creditor may invoke specified remedies, which are ordinarily invoked in such debt collector or creditor. So, in other words, if a debt collector, so if a debt collector writes you, says you owe money or whatever, and you tell them to cease and desist, They'll stop trying to attempt to collect the debt from you, but they'll still send you. They may. They might still send something to you. So so far, they can either advise you that the debt collection further efforts are being terminated, or to notify you that they're going to going to invoke specific remedies. Or three, where applicable to notify the consumer that the debt collector or creditor intends to invoke a specified specified remedy. You know, it's just being really redundant. But, yeah, nonetheless, if such notice from the consumer is made by mail, notification shall be complete upon receipt. Boom. You've been notified. So you notify something. Now, check it out. That's really important because they don't have to read the stuff that you send them in order for them to be notified. All you got to do is put it in the mail, and if you have proof that they received it, then they have been notified. And all you got to do is notify someone to let them know what you're going to do. This is the beauty of the stuff. They don't have to respond to you when you write them a letter, just drop it in the mail. And if they get it, boom, they're on notice. They got 30 days to respond. If they don't respond in the manner that you requested and demanded that they responded in, then you're going to invoke your remedy, just like how they're trying to invoke their remedy on you by saying that you refuse to pay, so they're going to pursue further action. So if you tell them that to cease and desist and you need them to prove that they that you owe them a debt and they don't owe a debt and they can't prove that, then, and they can't do it in the 30 days or in 30 days, then you tell them, hey, well, I'm about to invoke my remedy. Do the same thing. You can do it. They can't, they can't tell you that they can't because these are your rights. Your rights are your remedy. Your remedy is your right. Right and remedy is the definition of each other. Right means remedy, and remedy means right. Your rights, your remedy. Just like when you got an illness or something, you want to take some medicinal to cure whatever it is, and I don't like the word cure, but just for simplistic uses only, you want to cure your body of a, you know, of a virus or something like that, or a disease or something, you get a remedy. In law, your remedy is your right. Your opportunity to cure. So D, consumer defined. 
For the purposes of this section, the consumer includes the consumer's spouse, parent, if the consumer is a minor, guardian, executor, or administrator. Wow. So they they try to tell you that 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 your damn wife or your husband is, is a is a is a debtor too. <laughs> wow. So that so 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 my wife could hold some debt to someone, and if some debt collectors come, and if, if we're married, they're going to say that I'm a debt collector, but that's fine with me because I know exactly how to deal with them. That means I could go to court, and I could do all types of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so 15 U.S.C. 1692D. See, this is this is the benefit of studying this stuff. Yeah, you might get tired, you might get sleepy, you might get. But this is where it's at. I'm self-educated. Everyone should be self-educated. But once you, it's, it's. is freedom. That's that's where your sovereignty comes in. The fact that you educate yourself and you educate, you know, the youngins how to educate, you know, themselves, and not teach them education, but you know, just teach them how to think. If you know how to think, you're educated, and if you need to train yourself to learn how to think then so be it. But if you know how to think, you're educated. You don't need a piece of paper from a school or a university saying that you have a, you don't need a diploma to tell you that you're educated. Because when they give you a diploma, they're not giving you a diploma because you're educated. You got a diploma and you graduate because you know how to remember. You're good at memorizing things. But if you know how to think, you're educated, truly educated. And can't nobody take that from you. Can't nobody give that to you, and can't nobody take it from you. And it's beautiful. That's the beautiful part. And think properly. Don't just think, but, you know, think properly, because we all think. But when you think properly, then you start taking control of the wheel and you start to get back on track. So, anyway, 1692D, harassment or abuse. A debt collector may not engage in any conduct, the natural consequence of which is to harass, oppress, or abuse any person in connection with the collection of a debt. Without limiting... Okay, without limiting the general application of the foregoing, the following conduct is a violation of this section. Ooh, this penalty. This is a good part. One, the use or threat of use of violence or other criminal means to harm the physical person, reputation, or property of any person. Two, the use or obscene or profane language or language, the nature consequence of which is to abuse the hearer or reader. 
So if you cussing at me, you son of a blah, 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 you motherfucker, you know, and all that stuff like that, you know, that's considered abusive and uh, pretty much unfair practices. It's a violation of FDCPA when it comes to these debt collectors. Three, the publication of a list of consumers who allegedly refuse to pay debts except to a consumer reporting agency or to persons meeting the requirements of 1681A or 1681B3 of this title. Four, the advertisement for sale of a debt to coerce payment of a debt. Five, causing a telephone to ring. <laughs> That's actually in the law. What? Causing a telephone to ring or engage any person in telephone conversation repeatedly or continuously with intent to annoy, abuse, or harass any person at the call, at the call number. Six, Except as provided in Section 1692B of this title, the placement of telephone calls without meaningful disclosure of the caller's uh, identity. So if a debt collector calls you, they have to identify themselves. They don't even call me no more. I started calling them. They didn't want to talk to me. They ain't hung up on me. That's how you want to get them. You, don't, you want to get them to the point where they respect you to the point. If they don't call you, they're respecting you. Because if if they know that you don't know anything, they'll keep calling you, blowing your phone up, all type of stuff. But when they don't want to call you, you get them. Or at least they have an understanding of respect for you because that's what you want. That's what it's all about. You want your respect. You deserve to be respected. And these little these little petty debt collectors out here, who are they to you know harass anyone? Let's get their phone. No, never mind, never mind. But anyway, fifteen USC sixteen ninety two E. Hold on a second, fam. Give me one second. All right. 15 U.S.C. 1692E. False or misleading representation. Ooh. False or misleading representation. A debt collector may not use any false, deceptive, or misleading representation or means in connection with the collection of any debt. Without limiting the general application of the foregoing, the following conduct is a violation of this section. One, the following representation or implication that the debt collector is vouched for, bounded by, or affiliated with the United States or any state including the use of any badge, uniform, or uh, 
of Fasimah thereof. Two, the false representation of A, the character, amount, or legal status of any debt. Or B, any services rendered or compensation which may be lawfully received by any debt collector for the collection of a debt. Three, the false representation or implication implica, implication that any individual is in debt. Sorry. So the false representation or implication that any individual is an attorney or that any communication is from an attorney. So they, they can't, you know, say that they're an attorney, either they are or they're not. And if they are an attorney, they can't pass as an attorney in the capacity of an attorney while collecting the debt. Either they're a debt collector or they're an attorney. Because if they're collecting debt, they could be collecting on behalf of themselves while telling you that they're collecting from you to go pay the creditor. But they're act- but if they're acting as an attorney, they can't act they can't act in the capacity of someone that's benefiting from this. The the best that they can they can get is like attorney fees and stuff like that. But they can't get like, you know, part of the, the cut if they're an attorney. But if they're a debt collector, they get a portion of, of the debt that they collect. If not all of it, if they bought the debt, they get the whole thing. But by law, again, they can't collect from you more than the amount that they bought. I mean, then the, uh, however much they pay for the debt from the creditor, that's how much they can only collect from you. So, four, the representation or implication that non-payment of a debt will result in the arrest or imprisonment of any person or the seizure, garnishment, attachment, or sale of any property or wages of any person unless such action is lawful and the debt collector or creditor intends to take action. Wow. Oh, wow. So, (laughs) wow. So, again, you can ask them. You can say, prove that this is, uh, you know, like say they want to garnish you know, if they're if they're garnishing your wages, you can get them to prove or get them to prove. Not that you could, that's what you gotta do. Get them to prove that the act of garnishing their your wages is a lawful act. And they have to prove to you that. What they're gonna do, this is what they're gonna do. When you ask them that question, they're gonna say, Oh well, we can do that. Like, come on, no, where's the proof? Yeah, I know you said that you can do it. That ain't good enough. I want to know where it is that says that you can do this. Because if you can't, it's unlawful and it's illegal and you're going to be liable. Now I'm suing you. It's it's really, it's so easy. As long as you know your rights, you really don't even have to read all this stuff. However... When you do read this stuff, you get a more you understand how the system works, you can better navigate. You know, but I mean, you know, eventually the system it, it, it may not last too much longer. But the principles are still going to be the same, however. Because a lot of this stuff is just common sense. Like you don't have to be United States or 
Canada or whatever it is. It don't have to be in these places for this stuff to be in effect. If someone owes you, if you, someone says you owe them a debt, you can do that to anybody. You walk down the street and someone say that you owe them a debt, or approve it. You don't have to invoke the FDCPA or anything like that. But if you want to take it into a court venue, then you might want to, you know, reference to it. You Because you're not using this stuff as a defense. What you're doing is, is you're using these laws that they're governed by to, hey, say, hey, you know that it says here and blah, 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 that you're supposed to do this or you're supposed to do that. You're not going there and saying, well, I'm using FBCPA to defend myself and stuff. No, you're getting it to put them back on track put them back in their place. And that's why we're working with all these laws and stuff. It's like negotiable instruments law, law machine law, and all that stuff. I mean, it ain't bad stuff. It's just the people that are using it, really using it for for malice intentional purposes. And it's because of that, it's kind of messing stuff up. But, you know, let's be the voice of reason and be like, well, you know, if you keep this up much longer, (laughs) at the end of the road, you're not going to enjoy it too well. That's why there's a lot of, you know, people out here, evil people, that they're afraid to die because, you know, they they fear of what's going to happen to them afterwards because they have a guilty conscience. But, again, you know, I'm not really a, a Bible thumb or nothing, but, you know, when you repent, you'll be forgiven, but that's just in his terms. In other words, but you have to repent, which means to amend. To amend means to correct. All right? So to 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 repent don't mean to say, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, although it does mean that, but it means to actually do such. Amend, when you're amending something, like an amendment, like the 14th Amendment, the 10th Amendment, and all these amendments, they're corrections onto something that already exists. So if you've done all these horrible things in your life, I mean, well, there's certain things that it may be unforgivable. If you like done little, little petty stuff and stuff, amend yourself. Then you'll be forgiven because you corrected yourself. We're living in life. You can't go backwards. You're going forward. So it's a waste of time to try to go back in time to correct something. No, don't correct. I mean, well, you know, try to change it and erase it. Correct yourself. Amend yourself. Because we only, a lot of people, we want to correct stuff and fix stuff. Like, uh, you know, go back and change things because we're afraid of what people was going to think about us. We're, we're afraid that people are going to judge us. But we got to get around that. Forget about people judging you. Forget about what people think you are. Yeah, you might you might have done something in the past that you know you know you know kind of you know you know ain't right. Well, amend yourself, which means to correct yourself. It doesn't mean to go back and erase it like in there is this. Nah, it ain't got nothing to do it. That's a waste of time. Forget about all that. But anyway, let's let's continue on. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, where did we leave off? Um, so, so false representation is false representation. Um, 
The representation or implication of non-payment of debt. Oh, oh yeah, and, they can, and another thing. You can't get arrested by owing a debt. Like if you owe a debt to a bank or something like that, they can't throw you in jail for that. They couldn't do it anyway because there ain't no money in circulation. You can't pay a debt. <laughs> so anyway, five. The threat to take any action that cannot legally be taken or that is not intended to be taken. Ooh. So if you know when they say that they're going to, you know, do some things like sue you or whatever they say that they're going to do, just get them to prove that they can do it. Not only validate the debt, see if they can do it. Are they legally, or can you actually do that? You know what I'm saying? Six, the false representation or implication that a sale, referral, or other transfer of any entrance in a debt shall cause the consumer to, A, lose any claim or defense to payment of the debt, or B, become subject to any practice prohibited by the subchapter. Uh, hold on. One second. All right, hold on. We're going to pause for one quick second. That'll get the drink of water. All right. Uh, all praise is due to the Most High Creator. All right, so let's continue. Where do we leave off at? Um, Okay, so six, the false representation or implication that a sale, referral, or other transfer of any entrance is a, uh, in a debt shall cause the consumer to, A, lose any claim or defense to payment of the debt. So in other words, if, if any false representation that a sale or referral or transfer, in other words, you know, the entrance. Like, say, for instance, there was a sign, you know, it was a sign there, the negotiable instrument that even proves that you owe a debt to anyone. Anyway, any false representation of a sale, like they bought a debt or something like that. So pretty much if they say that you owe a debt and you don't owe the debt, and whatever however said that uh, whatever that they do prohibits you from 
a defense, then it's pretty much a violation of FDCPA. So B, become subject to any practice prohibited by the subchapter. Seven, the false representation or implication that the consumer committed any crime or other conduct in order to dis- disgrace or disgrace the consumer. So pretty much what all this is saying is that the debt collector cannot degrade you in any way in order to get the money. So if if they're doing anything other than, hey, can you pay us? Like very simply and nicely played and stuff like that. If they're doing anything other than that, then there's violations. That's simple. Eight, communicating or threatening to communicate to any person credit information that is known or which should be known to be false, including the failure to communicate that a dispute debt is disputed. So nine, the use or distribution of any written communication which simulates or is falsely represented to be a document authorized, issued, or approved by any court official or by any court official or agency of the United States or any state or which creates a false impression as to its source, authorization, or approval. So pretty much if they're producing false documents from the court saying that you've got to pay the debt, then it's obviously a violation. That's, I mean, that's more than a violation. That's a criminal charge. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff in here is criminal charges. However, <clears throat> you can get them civilly, too. So, ten, the use of any false representation or deceptive means to collect or attempt to collect any debt or to obtain information concerning a consumer. So the use of any false representation or deceptive means to collect or attempt to collect any debt or to obtain information concerning consumers. So pretty much if they use any deceptive means of trying to gather information, you know, and there's many definitions of what that could be. So 11, the failure to disclose in the initial written communication with the writ, uh, with the consumer and in, yeah, let me read that again. So 11, the failure to disclose in the initial written communication with the consumer and in, in addition, its initial communication with the consumer is oral in the initial communication that the debt collector is attempting to collect a debt and that any information obtained will be used for that purpose. And the failure to disclose in subsequent communications that the communication is for a debt collector except that in this paragraph shall not apply to a formal pleading made in connection with a legal action. In other words, they have to say that, uh, oh, wait, hold on. So they, so they have to disclose that, that, uh, they have to disclose by some means of communication that that they are a debt collector that is attempting to collect a debt. 
<clears throat> I mean, they're pretty good at that, you know. <clears throat> That's probably one of their favorite lines. So 12, the false representation or implication that the accounts have been turned over to innocent purchasers for value. So 13, the false representation or implication that the documents are legal process. 14, the use of any business, company, or organization name other than the true name of the debt collector's business, company, or organization. Read that again. The use of any business, company, or organization name other than the true name of the debt collector's business, company, or organization. What's your name? Don't wear it out. But what's your name? I need to know your name if you're going to collect a debt from me. You must identify yourself. Please, identify yourself. So, uh... Blah, blah, blah. false representation. Uh, okay, so 16. The false representation or implication that, that a debt collector operates or is employed by a consumer reporting agency as defined in Section 1681AF of this title. So 15 U.S.C. 1692F. Unfair practices. Hold on one second. Give me one second, fam. Uh, hold on. Check something out. Those who's uh, you know listening in, you know who you are. Dearly appreciate it. Uh, uh, you know, I think I'm sharing some decent information. So hopefully, 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 it could be used in a way that's beneficial, you know, and productive. You know, because it's not legal advice, and yeah, it's not legal advice. <laughs> It's just the meeting of the minds. So, so unfair practices. So a debt collector may not use unfair or unconscionable means to collect or attempt to collect any debt. Without limiting the general application of the foregoing, the following conduct, conduct is a violation of this section. Excuse me. So one, the collection of any amount, including any entrance, fee, charge, or expense, 
incidental to the principal obligation unless said amount is expressly authorized by the agreement created, creating the debt or permitted by law. So, <laughs> so the collection of any amount unless such amount is expressly authorized by the agreement creating the uh, debt or permitted by law. So is such amount expressly authorized by the agreement created by the debt or creating the debt? So is such amount expressly authorized by the agreement creating the debt? Do you have such instrument? Can I see it? Can I expect it? And if they do have the instrument, throw it to the bad boy and give it back to them. Two, the acceptance by a debt collector from any person or a debt. So the acceptance of a debt, excuse me, the acceptance of a debt collector from any person of a check or other payment instrument post-dated by five or uh, post-dated by more than five days unless such person is notified in writing of, of the debt collector's intent to deposit such check or instrument. Not more than 10 or uh, not more than 10 nor less than three business days prior to such deposit. <clears throat> three, the solicitation, by, by the way, these aren't fair practices. The solicitation by a debt collector of any post-dated check or other post-dated check payment instrument for the purpose of threatening or instituting criminal prosecution. prosecution. Four, depositing or threatening to deposit any post-dated check or other post-dated payment instrument prior to the date or such check uh, on such check or instrument. Five, causing charges to be made. Wait, causing charges to be made to any person for communications by concealment of the true purpose of the communication. Such charges, such charges, include but are not limited to collect to Collect telephone calls and telegram fees. Six, taking or threatening to take any non-judicial action to affect disposition or uh, disablement of property if, A, there is no present right to possession of the property claimed as collateral through an enforceable security instance. B, there is no present intention to take possession of the property. Or C, the property is exempt by law from such disposition or disablement. Seven, communicating with a consumer regarding a debt by a post card. Eight. Using any language or symbol other than the debt collector's address on any envelope when communicating with the uh, with a consumer by use of mails or by telegram, except that 
a debt collector may use his business name if such name does not indicate that he is in the debt collection business. All right, so 15 U.S.C. 1692G. This is the good part. This is my favorite part. Validation of debts. So, A, notice of debt contents. Within five days after the initial communication with the consumer in connection with the collection of any debt, a debt collector shall, unless the following information is contained in the initial communication or the consumer has paid the debt, send the consumer a written notice containing, one, the amount of the debt, two, the name of the creditor to whom the debt is owed. Three, a statement that unless the consumer within 30 days after receipt of the notice disputes the validity of the debt or any portion thereof, the debt will be assumed to be valid by the debt collector. Four, so in other words, if you don't say anything to them within 30 days, then there's assumed to be valid unless you challenge the validity of the debt before 30 days, after getting the notice that you owe a debt. So four, a statement that if the consumer notifies the debt collector in writing within the 30-day period that the debt or any portion thereof is disputed, and the debt collector will obtain verification of the debt or a copy of a judgment against the consumer, and a copy of such verification or judgment will be mailed to the consumer by the debt collector. That's powerful right there. So they have to either give you verification of the debt and or it would have to give you a copy of a judgment. But the only way they can get a copy of it, but you could challenge that too. Because the only way they got a judgment is if they got a default. Now, if they give you a copy of the judgment, then that means you you, you ain't passed it like you ain't passed up some stuff. But excuse me. But don't get me wrong; it's never too late to challenge the validity of anything, especially if it's done in fraud. Now, if you suspect fraud. There's no statute of limitation as to when, how, how soon, um, you know, especially on a private level, an individual level. It's not, uh, it's no statute of limitation on how soon or how late you can challenge the validity of something. You can be, you go recoup some stuff too, and claim back losses and damages and stuff. So five, a statement that upon the consumer's written request within the first within the thirty day period, the debt collector will provide the consumer with the name address of the original creditor, if different from the current creditor. So they have to provide the consumer with the name and address of the original creditor, if it's different from the current creditor, because you know you can assign over debts and stuff. So B, disputed debts. 
So if the consumer notifies the debt collector in writing within 30 days, period, described in subsection A of this section, that the debt or any portion thereof is disputed, or that the consumer requests the name and address of the original creditor, the debt collector shall cease collection of the debt or any disputed portion thereof until the debt collector obtains verification of the debt or a copy of a judgment or the name and address of the original creditor and a copy of such verification or judgment or name and address of the original creditor is mailed to the consumer by the debt collector. Collection activities and communications that do not otherwise violate the subchapter may continue during the 30-day period, referred to in subsection A, unless the consumer has notified the debt collector in writing that the debt or any portion of the debt is disputed or that the consumer requests that the name address name and address of the original creditor. Any collection activity and communication during the 30-day period may not overshadow or be inconsistent with the disclosure of consumer rights or the disclosure of the consumer's rights to dispute the debt or request the name and address of the original creditor. Whew, that was a lot. Anyway, C, admission of liability. The failure of a consumer to dispute the validity of a debt. So the failure of a consumer, which would be you if you're if you owe, if they say you're the one that owes. So the failure of a consumer, the failure of a consumer to dispute the validity of of a debt under this section may not be construed by any court as an admission of liability by the consumer. So hold on one second. <clears throat> Okay, I just wanted to make sure I get this right, right, or right before I break this down. Okay, so again, a mission of liability. The failure of a consumer to dispute the validity of a debt under this subs- under this section may not be construed by any court as an admission of liability of the consumer. So, in other words, just because you fail to dispute the debt, that still doesn't mean that you owe the debt. However, the debt collector will assume that is to be true. So either way, you still got to dispute it. (laughs) This is pretty much what I'm saying. So D, legal pleadings. So a communication in the form of a formal pleading in a civil action shall not be treated as an initial communication for the purposes of subsection A. 
Uh, so you have to read subsection A of 1692G of 15 USC. So, um, so E, notice provisions. So the the sending or delivery of any form of notice which does not relate to the collection of a debt and is expressly required by Title 26, Title B, which five, I think, of Graham, Leach, Blyley Act, 15 U.S.C. 6801. Ooh, check that out. 15 U.S.C. 6801. Or any provision of federal or state law relating to notice of data security breach or privacy or any regulation prescribed under such provision of law shall not be treated as an initial communication in connection with the debt collection uh, for uh, purposes of the section. So uh, uh, 15 U.S.C. 1692H. Multiple debts. If any consumer owes multiple debts and makes any single payment to any debt collector with respect to such debt, such debt collector may not apply such payment to any debt which is disputed by the consumer and where applicable shall apply such payment in accordance with consumer's directions. Ooh. Wow. I'm going to read that again. Now listen close. If any consumer owes multiple debts, and makes any single payment to any debt collector with respect to such debt. Such debt collector may not apply such payment to any debt which is disputed by a consumer and where applicable shall apply such payment in accordance with consumer's directions. So that... um, So if any consumer owes multiple debts and makes any single payment to any debt collector with respect to such debt, such debt collector may not apply such payment to any debt which is disputed by the debt collector. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, if you owe multiple debts or whatever, and they're saying that you owe $500 on this debt or a loan or whatever, you owe $300 in your credit card and then your mortgage and they can't, and then you decide to pay them. If you have already have a debt that's in dispute, they can't apply that payment to that that debt. And they would have to, if they do apply a payment, it would be based on your instruction. So... <laughs> Oh, man, there's a lot more to it, but I'm not going to go into that right now. 
But 15 U.S.C. 1692 I. Legal action by debt collector. A. Venue. Venue, which means like the place of, you know, like like a courtroom or something. Or arbitration room or whatever it's called. That's the venue. So legal action by a debt collector. A. Venue. Any or any debt collector who brings any legal action. So any debt collector who brings any legal action on a debt against any consumer shall want, in the case of an action to enforce an entrance in real property securing the consumer's obligation, bring such action only in a judicial district or similar or similar legal entity in which such real property is located. So if it's a debt collector trying to collect on you, you know, like on your mortgage or something like that, and for some reason they take you to court, it would be have to be in the area where you live, pretty much, or the district. So two, in the case of an action not described in paragraph one, bring such action only in the judicial district or similar legal entity, such as arbitration or something, A, in which such consumers signed the contract sued upon. Ooh. So if you didn't give them authorization to do, to take them due to court or whatever, then they can't take you to court. Or B, Oh, but here's the thing, though. If you if you don't agree to that, they probably won't give you a loan. So, but I mean, if it's done in fraud, I mean, because here's the thing: it don't matter what debt collector is, you can't pay a bill because you you don't have any money, you don't have any real money, so you can't pay a debt. So it doesn't matter if they take if you did sign some paper saying that you can't take you to court. Hell, when you go to court, they still you just tell them that you can't, or just you know prove your claim, pretty much. I'm not going to tell you what your claim is, not here and now. But you just prove your claim, which is that you can't pay a debt. And honestly, you don't even need to prove anything. they got to prove that you can't pay a debt. So B, in, such consumer, uh, uh, in which such consumer resides at the commencement of the action. So B, authorization of action. Nothing in this subchapter shall be construed to authorize the bringing of legal action by a debt collector. So nothing in this subchapter subchapter shall be construed to authorize the bringing of legal action by a debt collector. So it's saying that just because the, the, the authorization of the bringing of legal action is done between the two parties, agreement to do such, not by, the, not by these laws. Because it ain't got nothing to do with them. It's only got something to do between the creditor and the debtor. The original creditor, might I add. So 1592, 1692J. I mean, what did I just say? I mean, 15 U.S.C., 1692J. Furnishing certain deceptive forms. A. It is unlawful to design, 
compile and furnish any form of knowing or uh, any form knowing that such form would be used to create the false belief in a consumer that a person other than the creditor of such consumer is participating in collection of or in an attempt to collect a debt such consumer allegedly owes such creditor, when in fact such person does not so participating or is not so participating. Pretty much saying they can't say that you owe a debt if you don't really owe a debt. They have to have proof. They have to have verification. They have to have authorization. They have to have verification. Yeah. So, anyway, B. Any person who violates this section shall be liable to the same extent and in the same manner as a debt collector is liable under under Section 1692K of this title for failure to comply with a provision of the subchapter. So now you know how to how to charge them. All right, now we're about to learn how. I assume. So 15, uh, 15 U.S.C. 1692K, civil liability. A, amount of damages. So except as otherwise provided by the uh, section, any debt collector who fails to comply with any provision of the subchapter with respect to any person is liable to such person in the amount equal to the sum of one any actual damage sustained by such person as a result of such failure. Ooh, this is your remedy right here. Your remedy. This is part of your remedy. It's not just your remedy. You got more than one remedy. The remedy is what you bring. No one's going to provide you a remedy. Now, oh, here's the thing. If someone does not provide you a remedy, then you can bring your own. When they provide, when they send you a bill in the mail every month saying that you owe something, they're not. They just tell you that you owe money, but they don't provide you the remedy. So you're because you can't pay any money, you can't pay them anything. So you have to have a remedy to discharge you from the liability of the obligation. So if they don't give you a remedy, you have to create your own remedy. You have a right to create your remedy because your remedy is your right. Remember that your remedy is your right, and your right is your remedy. If you don't know what your right is, go look it up. If you don't know what your remedy is, go look it up. However, I might do something more. I should, I'll probably get into a little bit more on that at another time. But I do go into the, uh, uh, for paid classes, I do go into that in more depth and, you know, stuff. So, so but, yeah, if anyone's interested, Go to www.templeofjehudi.com and, uh, you know, sign up and stuff and uh, fill up the form there and, um, you know, we'll go from there. All right, let's continue on. So, 2A, in the case of any action, by an individual, such additional damages as the court may allow, but not exceeding $1,000. Or, B, in the case of a class action, such amount of each named plaintiff as could be recovered under subparagraph A 
and two, such amount of the court, but such amount as the court may allow for all other class members without regard to a minimum individual recovery, not exceeding the lesser of 500,000 or one percentum of the net worth of the debt collector. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's why this is not your only remedy. This is part of your remedy. This is part of the remedy that is provided to you by law. There's much more. So, in in three, in the case of any successful action to enforce the foregoing liability, the cost of the action together with a reasonable attorney's fee and determined by the court on a finding by the court that an action under this section was brought in bad faith and in the purpose of harassment, the court may award the defendant's attorney's fees or may award to the defendant attorney's fees reasonable in relation to the work expanded in cost or expended in cost. So B, factors considered by court. Give me a second. So in determining the amount of liability in the action under subsection A of this section, the court shall consider the amount of the relevant uh, the the court shall consider among other relevant factors one in any individual action under section A two A of this section, the frequency and persistence of non compliance by the debt collector the nature of such noncompliance and the and the extent to which such noncompliance was intentional. Or two, in any class action under subsection A to B of this section, the frequency and persistence of noncompliance of the debt collector, the nature of such noncompliance, the resource of the debt collector, the number of persons adversely affected in the extent to which the debt collector's noncompliance was intentional. So C, a debt collector may not be held liable in any action brought under this section. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) A debt collector may not be held liable in any action brought under this subchapter. If the debt collector shows by a preponderance of evidence that the violation was not intentional and resulted from a bona fide error, notwithstanding the maintenance of procedures reasonably adapted to avoid any such error. So pretty much they have an opportunity to cure. So if they say you owe a debt and you prove to them that they don't owe you, and you decide to take them to court to sue them or whatever, they can cease and desist and, you know, and say, 
it's unintentional. But they would have to prove that it's unintentional. You can probably, if you can prove that it was intentional, you know, then go all out, go for it. Especially if it's, you know, especially if your house is on the line or your car is on the line or your credit score is on the line, you see. I've used, I use, I mean, but this is, this one of what we're going through now is not the whole process. You're not going to just be able to use this to be able to fix everything and stuff. But it's, it's a very key factor, you know. But anyway, D, jurisdiction. An action to enforce an, any liability created by the subchapter may be brought in any appropriate United States district court without regard to the amount in controversy or any other court of competent jurisdiction within one year from the from the date that which violations occur or occur, 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 occur. <laughs> I hope you understood that. So E. Advisory opinions of Biru, or in other words, the advisory opinions of the uh, collection protect uh, um, the uh, Bureau of uh, CFPB. The uh, damn, what is it? The Bureau of Consumer Financial. Oh no, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. There you go. Sorry. So the advisory opinions of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. No provision of this section imposing eighty. <coughs> sorry, <coughs> excuse me. Water. <laughs> so anyway, no provision of this section imposing any liability shall apply to any act done or admitted in good faith and comfortability, conformity with any advisory opinion of the bureau, notwithstanding that. After such act or omission has occurred, such opinion is amended, rescinded, or determined by judicial or other uh, authority to be invalid for that for any reason. <laughs> So, 15 U.S.C. 1692 L. Okay, so 15 U.S.C. 1692 L. Administrative Enforcement. A. Federal Trade Commission. So... So, yeah, Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission shall be authorized to enforce compliance with the subchapter, except to the extent that enforcement of the requirements imposed under under the subchapter is specifically committed to another government agency under any under any of paragraphs one through five or subsection B. So
subject to title subject to subtitle D of the Consumer Financial Protection Act of 2010, 12 U.S.C. 5511, 5511, et So the Consumer Financial Protection Act of 2010, codified at 12 U.S.C. 5511. For purpose, for purpose of the exercise by the Federal Trade Commission of its functions of power under the Federal Trade Commission Act, 15 U.S.C. 41. A violation of the subchapter shall be deemed an unfair or deceptive act or practice in violation of this of that act. So, for the purpose of the ex- exercise of the Federal Trade Commission, it is a function. It is a function of it that, damn, sorry. So per, for purposes of the exercise by the Federal Trade Commission of its function and powers under the Federal Trade Commission Act, a violation of this subchapter, which is the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, shall be deemed unfair and deceptive or uh, unfair and deceptive act or practice in violation of that act. So, in, in, so pretty much what it just said that a violation of the FDCPA is a violation of the Federal Trade Commission Act. All of the functions and powers of the Federal Trade Commission under the Federal Trade Commission Act are available to the Federal Trade Commission to enforce compliance by any person with this uh, with the subchapter irrespective of whether that person is engaged in commerce or meets any other jurisdictional test under the Federal Trade Commission Act, including the power to enforce the provisions of this subchapter in the same manner that if the violation had been a violation of a Federal Trade Commission regulation rule. Uh, uh, trade commission, all the functions of power. It's important. Um, okay, so B applicable. Applicable provisions of law, subject to subtitle B of the Consumer Financial Protection Act of 2010, compliance with any requirement imposed under this subchapter shall be enforced under one section eight of the Federal Deposit Insurance Act, 12 U.S.C. 1818. That's the FDIC by the appropriate federal banking agency as defined in Section 3Q of the Federal Deposit Insurance Act, 12 U.S.C. 1813Q. With respect to A, national banks, federal savings associations, and federal branches and federal agencies of foreign banks, B, 
member banks of the Federal Reserve System other than national banks, branches, or agencies of foreign banks other than federal branches, federal agencies, and insured state branches of foreign banks, commercial lending companies owned or controlled by foreign banks, and organizations operating under Sections 25 or 25A of the Federal Reserve Act. 12 U.S.C. 601 at sequel, uh, 611 at sequel, and C. Banks and state savings associations, associations assured by the uh, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, other than members of the Federal Reserve System and insured state branches of foreign banks. Two, the Federal Credit Union Act. The Federal Credit Union Act, 12 U.S.C. 1751, by the administrator of the National Credit Union Administration with respects to any federal credit union. Three, Subsections or subtitle four of Title Forty Nine of the Secretary of Transportation with respects to all carriers subject to the jurisdiction of the Surface Transportation Board. Four Part A of sub, subtitle, uh, damn, Roman numeral, VII. What is VII, Roman numeral? Uh, I think that's like six or something. I don't know. So subtitle VII of Title 49 by the Secretary of Transportation with respect to any air carrier or any foreign air carrier, foreign air carrier subject to that part. So, these are all the enforceable laws and stuff regarding this. So, five, the Packer and Stockyard Act, 1921, 7 U.S.C. 181. except as provided in Section 406 of that Act, 7 U.S.C. 226 and 227, by the Secretary of Agriculture, with respect to any activities subject to that Act. And six, Subtitle E of the Consumer Financial Protection Act of 2010, 12 U.S.C. 5561, by the Bureau with respect to any person subject to this subchapter. The terms used in paragraph 1 are not defined in the subchapter or otherwise defined in sections 3S of the Federal Deposit Insurance Act, 12 U.S.C. 1813-S. Shall have the meaning given to them in, sub, uh, in section 1B of the International Banking Act of 1978. 
12 U.S.C. 3101. C. Agency powers. For the purpose of this exercise, by any agency ref, uh, referred to in subsection B of this section, of its power under any act referred to in that subsection, a violation of any requirement imposed under this subsection shall be deemed to be a violation of a requirement imposed under that act. In addition to its power, under any provision of law specifically referred to in subsection B of this section, each of the agencies referred to in that subsection may exercise for the purpose of enforcing compliance with any requirement imposed under this sub subchapter, any other authority conferred on it by law, except as provided in subsection D of this section. D. Rules and regulations, except as provided in section 10 or 1029A of the Consumer Financial Protection Act of 2010, 12 U.S.C. 5519A, the Bureau, CFPB, may prescribe rules with respect to the collection of debt by debt collectors as defined in this subchapter. So you might want to check that out. 12 U.S.C. 5519A. 15 U.S.C. Or 12 U.S.C. 15, 5519A, if I didn't say that. So moving forward. 15 U.S.C. 1692M. Report to Congress by the Bureau or the Credit Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. or a, uh, a credit, uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, pardon. So reports to Congress by the Bureau, views of other federal agencies, A, not later than one year after the effective date of this subchapter and, and at one year intervals, intervals thereafter, the Bureau shall make reports to the Congress concerning the administration of its functions under the subject, including the recommendations as the Bureau deems necessary or appropriate. In addition, each report of the Bureau shall include its assignment or assessment of the extent to which compliance with the subchapter is being achieved any summary of the enforcement actions taken by the Bureau under Section 1692 of this title. So they had to report to Congress, every, you know, every year about, you know, pretty much how to, like, pretty much to keep up with, you know, let them know. The parents just got to report back to Congress every year as to updates of what's going on with this consumer stuff because there's a lot of fraud going on. <clears throat> so B, so B, in the exercise of its functions under the subchapter, the Bureau may, uh, may obtain upon request the views of any other federal agency 
which exercise enforcement functions under Section 1692 of this title. So the CFPB got a little bit more power than I thought. So the Bureau may obtain upon request the views of any other federal agency which exercises exercises enforcement functions under 1692 of this title. 15 U.S.C. 1692N, relation to state laws, because you got to remember something. The FDCPA is part of the United States Code, which kind of governs interstate commerce between states as opposed to whatever the consumer laws in one state is. If, say, for instance, I'm a debt collector coming after someone trying to collect debt from them, the state that I'm in has its own laws to deal with these things. And I assume we're going to figure out or find out how it is that they relate uh, federally and state. So this subchapter does not uh okay, so this subchapter does not annual, alter, or affect or exempt any person subject to the provisions of the subchapter from complying with the laws of any state with respect to the debt collection practices, except to the extent that those laws are inconsistent are inconsistent with any provision of the subchapter. So in other words, that is saying that uh, whatever the debt collections rules and laws in whatever your state is, this law doesn't, you know, nullify it. But in the case, in the event that the state law is inconsistent, then the federal law will come in and kind of fill in the gaps for, for what's, you know, what's missing. And then only to the extent of the inconsistency in other words, in, you know, just to fill in the gaps. It doesn't abolish the law, it fills the law. Okay, I wonder where we heard that one from. So, for purposes of this section, a state law is not inconsistent with this subchapter if the protection such law affords any consumer is greater than the protection provided in this subchapter. So 15 U.S.C. 1692-0, exemption from state or ZIPS, exemption for state regulation. All right, and hold on there, everyone. We're almost finished with this. Thank you all for, uh, you know, tuning in and bearing with me here. I know I talk a lot, but out of the love and stuff to make sure that people get this information. Give me one second and we'll continue. So, continuing on. The Bureau shall, by regulation, exempt 
from the requirements of this subchapter any class of debt collection practices within any state if the bureau determines that law that under the law of that state that class of debt collection practice is subject to requirements substantially similar to those imposed by the subchapter and that there is adequate provisions of provision, uh, enforcement. So in other words, it's the job of the the CFPB to be able to, uh, you know, be sure that the, the debt collection practices of the debt collector is lawful. So, exception for certain bad check enforcement programs operated by private entities. In general, or A, in general, one, treatment of of certain private entities. Subject to paragraph two, a private entity shall be included or excluded from the definition of a debt collector. Pursuant to, ooh, so a private entity shall be excluded from the definition of a debt collector. And if they're excluded from the definition of a debt collector, then this article, I don't believe, um, applies to them. But again, the principal is due to it. But that means you can get them on a private administrative level. <laughs> Pursuant to the exemption provided in 1692A6 of this title, with respect to the operation by the entity of a program described in paragraph 2A under a contract described in paragraph 2B. All right. So, two, conditions of applicability. Paragraph 1 shall apply if A. A state or district attorney establishes within the jurisdiction of such state a district attorney and with respect to alleged bad check violations that do not involve a check described as subsection B. A pretrial diversion program for alleged bad check offenders who agree to participate voluntarily in such program to avoid criminal prosecution. So B, a private entity that is subject to an administrative support services contract with a state or district attorney and operates under the direction, supervision, and control of such state or district attorney operates the pretrial diversion program described in subparagraph A. And C, in the course of performing duties delegated to it by a state or district attorney under the contract, the private entity referred to in subparagraph B, one, complies with penal laws of the state, two, conforms with the terms of the contract and directives of the state or district attorney, three, does not exercise independent prosecutorial prosecutorial discretion. Four, contacts an alleged offender referred to in subparagraph A for purposes 
of participating in a program referred to in such paragraph. One only as a result of a determination by the state or district attorney that probable cause of a bad check violation under the state penal laws exists and that contract with the alleged offender for purposes of participation in the program is appropriate. And the alleged offender has failed to pay the bad check after demand for payment pursuant to state law is made for the payment of a check amount and includes as part of an initial written communication with an alleged offender a clear and conspicuous statement that, one, the alleged offender may dispute the validity of any alleged bad check violation. Two, whether the alleged offender knows or has reasonable cause to believe that the alleged check violation is the result of theft or forgery in the bank, or I mean, of the check, identity theft, or other fraud that is not the result of conduct of the alleged offender. The alleged offender may file a criminal report with the appropriate law enforcement agency. And three, if the alleged offender notifies the private entity or the district attorney in writing not later than than 30 days after being contacted for the first time pursuant to Clause 4, that there is a dispute pursuant to the subsection before before further restitution efforts are pursued, the district attorney or an employee of the district attorney authorized to make such determination make such a determination makes a determination that there is probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed and four charges only fees in connection with services under the uh, contract that have been authorized by the contract with the state or district attorney. B, certain checks excluded. Uh, Let's see, do we got to go through this? Yeah, we'll read this real quick. We're almost finished. So, B, certain checks excluded. A check is described in this subsection if the check involves or is subsequently found to involve, one, a post-dated check presented in connection with a payday loan or other uh, familiar transaction where the payee of the check knew that the issuer had insufficient funds at the time the check was made, drawn, or delivered. Two, a stop payment order where the issuer acted in good faith and with reasonable cause in stopping payment on the check. Three, a check dishonored because of an adjustment to the issuer's account by the financial institution holding such account without providing notice to the person at the time the check was made, drawn, or delivered. Four, a check for partial payment of a debt where the payee has previously accepted partial payment for the debt or for such debt. Five, a check issued by a person who was not competent 
or was not of legal age to enter into a legal contractual obligation at the time the check was made, drawn, or delivered. Or six, a check issued to pay an obligation arising from a transaction that was illegal in the jurisdiction of a state or district or of the state or district attorney at the time the check was made, drawn, or delivered. C. Definitions. For purposes of this section, the following definitions shall apply. One, state or district attorney. The term state or district attorney means the chief elected or appointed prosecuting attorney of a district, county, as defined in Section 2 of Title I, municipality, or comparable jurisdiction, including state attorneys general who act as chief elected or appointed prosecuting or uh, prosecuting attorneys in a district, county, as so defined, municipality, or comparable jurisdiction who may be referred to be by a variety of titles such as district attorney, prosecuting attorneys, commonwealth attorneys, solicitors, county attorneys, and state's attorneys, and who are responsible for the prosecutions of state crimes and violations of jurisdictions of jurisdiction specified locally that jurisdiction specific local ordinances. So <clears throat> two check. The term check has the same meaning as section five thousand or five zero zero two six of Title Twelve. So yeah. So three bad check violation. The term bad check violation means a violation of the applicable state criminal law relating to the writing of dishonored checks. So 15 U.S.C. 1692 uh, note. Effective date. This title takes effect upon the expiration of six months after the date of this enactment. But sections 809 shall only apply with 809 of the FDCPA, shall only apply with respects to debts for which the initial attempt, initial attempt to collect occur after such effective date. So um, there we have it. That was the FDCPA. Uh, so yeah, that's this would probably FDCPA would be the basis of a debt validation, and to pretty much you know get these uh, these creditors off your back. So, but yeah, if you wish to contact me for anything, um, for classes, or if it's there anything anything that I could possibly teach that you think I may know. Or maybe I know someone that knows it and is willing to uh, disperse the information. Uh, you know, like secure party creditor or whatever you want to learn how to discharge debt. Um, 
mortgages, you want to deal with that, um, foreclosures, and, you know, things of that nature. Trust. Um, and go to www.templeofjehudi.com. And all the information that you need is there. Soon I'll be updating for to accept members. It'll probably be like a monthly fee or something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure how it's going to be yet. Um, it depends on the quality of the information that I put up there uh, and actually how much time it takes me to put it together because it'll probably be on a consistent basis where it'll be updated with new information. But, um, yeah, so you can contact me at Um for any classes or something. Um, so, yeah, with that being said, Um, I guess we'll call it a close. And thank everyone for listening. Uh, however, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else that I got to say? Um, sorry about that. I don't know what just happened. But anyway, um, but yeah. I'll keep, you know, you know, I guess everyone posted about uh, next time I had another one of these, you know, lecture classes or free classes, whatever you want to call it, sessions. Again, I hope everyone enjoys the information. Uh, you know, I put my heart into it. I get a headache now. I'm kind of tired and drained. <laughs> I imagine, you know, listeners probably are too, but that's okay. Um, it's just exercise. That's all it is. It's mental exercise. Um, you know, just it's the work that you got to put in, you know. The mind is the most powerful thing that you have. It controls everything that your body does. So, and your body responds accordingly to it. So, you know, if you want to mentally be capable, and it's like the things that I know or talk about or the things that I can do, it's no, I mean, you know, it ain't like I'm the only one that can do these things. It's more people. It's people that know how to do it better than I do, you know. Um, but for those who may not be as, you know, experienced, I should say, or whatever, I don't know, um, try to help everyone out, um, you know, the best way I can. But much love to everyone. I appreciate the, uh, you know, the participation. Keep everyone updated on, you know, further, you know, uh, future classes and stuff. So with that being said, I'm going to call it to a close. I hope all of you have a most wonderful day. And most thanks to the Most High Creator for allowing this to take place. So with that being said, I hope you all have a wonderful night and a wonderful evening, wherever you are. Peace. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.